but I have my dog Jaeger here who is uh, dying for <laughs> Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. All right, ladies and germs, welcome to the RC Roundtable. Prepare yourself for another exciting episode. Featuring me, Fitz Walker, and joining me as well is Terry Dunn. Hey there. And... Some other guy named Lee or something? Howdy. Yes, Mr. Lee Ray. And joining us, we have a special guest, Mr. Brett Becker. Yay! Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, thanks for joining us. Has anybody ever nicknamed you BB? <laughs> Heard that before. <laughs> You're the first. <laughs> I'm the first. <laughs> oh, great. Well, thanks, Brett. Uh, we look forward to chatting with you on this episode. I'm sure we have a lot to talk about. Uh, and so, let's get started. Uh, let's see. Something new popped up. Terry just let us know, like, literally an hour ago <laughs> or so. Well, I knew about it. He told oh, me about it. The well, UPS man let me know. I got a new uh, review subject in the mail today. Well, what did you get? I got the CJ6, the Nanchang CJ6. You got a new Jeep from China? Uh, right. Uh, from uh, the 1950s. Oh. No, it's uh, an airplane. And it, this is the FMS 1200 version of the Nanchang CJ6, which is... There's some history behind this. We can get into it if you want, but it's a Chinese airplane loosely based on the Yak something something. And, uh, it's basically their version of uh, a basic trainer. Yeah. Military basic trainer. Uh, yeah. And they're becoming popular in the U.S. as full scale warbirds because they're relatively affordable as warbirds go. Yeah. I know I've seen one or two in the flesh, even here in Texas. I think at the local airport, I saw one once. Yeah, I, I used to know some of the price points and how they compared to something like a T-28 and all that. And it's a fraction of the cost of ownership of all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I interviewed a guy in Florida who owns a CJ6, and he's part of a group of CJ6 owners. And I think he actually helped import some of them. But it was interesting to hear him talk about it because you can tell that it's a very basic airplane in a good way. Uh, all the uh, features on it are pneumatic. So, like, uh, the landing gear, the flaps, uh, the brakes, all that stuff is pneumatic, and there's a built-in compressor that runs off the engine. So, basically, when it's flying, it's refilling the tank, and then when it's on the ground, it's got a, a pressurized tank to use for all the functions. Interesting. So, you don't need uh, hardly any ground support equipment. I think even the starter's pneumatic. But if you run oh. out of air, it, yeah, then you're out of luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's got a radial engine, too, doesn't it? Yeah, like uh, a backwards radial engine. Backwards radio. Oh, it turns oh. the other way. They didn't do that in the model. Yeah, I was gonna say that prop's turning the other way. Mm, I'll have to double check, but I think it does turn opposite. Not oh. that that matters. Good. Yeah, there's some yeah. British plays that do that too, right? But but you should reverse it. It's just to Russian make it more do. special. Yeah. Okay. And it's what's one point two ooms fits. Yeah, right. <laughs> fits it right in that spot. And I was looking at it from. There's a couple of pictures on the site right now, and I'm looking at. It and you had mentioned it's kind of like a like a T6 Texan type trainer, but kind of mm -hmm. looking at it right now, it kind of looks like a T28 Trojan. 
uh, yeah, okay, sure. It does. It, it looks a little bit like both of them, actually. You got the, the tricycle landing gear, the T-28, and then uh, the split flap in the middle kind of looks more like a T-6 Texan. Yeah. yeah. When the T6 Texan and the T28, mommy and daddy got together. Yeah. The CJ6. <laughs> and the prop went backwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Australia. So to answer your question, Lee, it's roughly 47 inch wingspan. Yeah. In, in SAE units. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I just barely opened the box before we started here. And I think it takes a four cell, like 2200, something like that. So it's pretty basic uh, setup, and this one comes with a speed control, all the servos, of course. It does need a receiver, but I noticed that it has some sort of gyro system in it. Really? It's, yeah, really? it's built in, so uh, i got to figure out what to all do with right. that. I think I'll just use a S-Bus receiver. Does that but, sound new for FMS, to have some sort of stabilization? Uh, I, yeah, I guess. This appears to be an FMS-branded gyro. So, yeah, I don't know that it's all that useful on this airplane, but whatever, it's there. I guess that's what all the cool kids are doing. Yeah. And it it looks like there's three positions for the gyro, one of which is being turned completely off. So, Mm. I'll be able to test it out and see what effect it has. (laughs) So, I'm looking at the, oh, here it is, 4S, because it says battery. Battery type, LiPo, 3.7 volts per cell. Like, uh, you tell <laughs> <Yeah>. me much. <laughs> but you scroll down, they're saying a 4S. <laughs> Airplane needs yeah. air to fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, I feel like I'm kind of in a rush to get this thing in the air because it is November in Buffalo, and I'm probably on borrowed time in terms of beating <laughs> the snow. So. Before the blizzard comes. Yeah, It's really oh. nice today. Um, so I'm hoping I get a few more days of that and I can uh, get out and maiden it and take some pictures. There's hardly anything to put together. I think there's a few screws to put the horizontal stab on, put the wing on. I think all my time is going to be spent just figuring out how to wire up and configure the gyro. So hopefully I can get it done tomorrow. We'll see. So your overall thoughts on maybe the, the finish of the plane? How it looks, oh, or? yeah. Uh, fit and finish is good. It's got nice paint on it, and you don't see a lot of mold marks, things like that. So, uh, yeah, A-plus so far on that. Retracts? Yep. And I think they have uh, oleos oh, yeah, on it. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, I think. I'll have to double check. But, yeah. And the color scheme is some sort of flight demonstration team, red, white, and blue. Maybe it's the Chinese army. I don't know. I'm making stuff up now. <laughs> Well, you don't have to worry about it blending in colonial chinese yeah you know i i adore you terry i think you're a great person but are you sure this thing has a stabilizer or a gyro i am looking at the manual and i don't see it did you just happen to get one for the you know for someone who wants you to try it or was it inside the box all right let me rephrase this there is a mysterious box inside <laughs> the fuselage. It's a black box. Don't with open many the wires. black box. It's probably recording this conversation and transmitting it to Beijing right now. It's a chaos box. Maybe it's just a junction box, a breakout box that splits everything out to like my tiger. Channels. Yeah, like my tiger cat. It has yeah. A- no, um, this is indeed a gyro. The manual came with some sort of uh, pull-out addendum that talks about it. The actual oh. the 
the manual, the assembly manual doesn't mention it. It just says, hook all the wires to your receiver. <laughs> Put but, this somewhere. Right. <laughs> it makes plane fly good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fly while pregnant. <laughs> okay, well, you, you, need to, you need to expand upon that because I just do not see it anywhere here. So that's an interesting addendum because I yeah. was wondering if you had like a different version that was available online, but it's there's just one CJ6 kit. So... This is a version two, so there was apparently a version one. I don't know when it came out, but yeah. And it has lights also. Like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not uh, like navigation type lights. So it's kind of interesting because all the wing servo leads and retract leads, all that, are bunched into this junction box that's at the wing root. And so you look at that and you're like, oh, there's a nest of wires. And then where the gyro is, there's all sorts of wires coming in and out. So this thing just has. <laughs> A lot more wires than you would expect on a 1200 millimeter foamy. And I assume that a fair amount of those are the LED leads as well. Terry says gyro. We're not sure what the hell that thing is yet. Hey, do you have, is it open at all or is it still all in the box? No, I, I could reach over and grab it. What do you want? It's a gyro. If you don't no, believe no, me, I'll take no, a picture and no, send it to you. No, I, uh, I'm looking at a profile photo of it. And I mean, I like this uh, part of it, but it actually looks like the, uh, there's, um, on the wingtip. Uh, they have washout, at least from this picture here. And I was like, okay, that's that's kind of nice to have it pre-built in there. Um, well, with the foamy, uh, yeah, you're not going to add it later. Well, right? no, but I say, but it looks, I, I mean, some planes I have don't have that built in. This, And it could be the camera angle, but it looks like it has some built in. I'm like, that's kind of nice that they're putting that in there because it should fly really stable. Do you want me to go check? Nah. Brett, we want to talk to Brett. We're, we're yeah, Wait till it's finished uh, flying. I'm happy to talk about this. Oh, you know? then go right ahead. Yeah, finish up, Brett. <laughs> uh, Correct us. <laughs> well, I mean, for, for a scale foamy, they've, they just continue to improve. I mean, this thing's got, it's got a, a nose wheel that looks like it's got an oleo, whether it's real or not. And it's got gear doors and um, they look very scale. So it's impressive for, for a foamy. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think every year we say, wow, I can't believe how good the foamies are now compared to five years ago, but they keep finding ways to get a little bit better. Yeah, so, I like the simulated cooling fan in the, in the nose as well. I bet it's functional, right? Uh, well, you know what? It, it might be static. Never mind. Yeah, I think the real one turned with the engine. It, it? it does for sure. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a fuck off 190. Yeah. So and I think neat. it's actually controllable on the full scale. So if you wanted to. Yeah, you could close it up if you wanted to warm up the engine. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so it's adjustable pitch louvers or something like that? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's got a pilot figure, it looks like. Does it? Okay. You know yeah. what? You guys are making me uh, get up to go grab this thing. You guys <laughs> talk about something fun. I'll be right back. Uh, okay, so, so while Terry's away, I'm calling BS on that box. <laughs> 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 I, I think when he looks at that box, it's going to be uh, part number FMMCON002, which is called a multi-connector set. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just confusing the receiver. <laughs> uh, like I said, love Terry, but I call him BS. And you know, I'm going to go back to what you said, Brett, because I was curious. It is, they're not Oleos. It doesn't look, I'm looking at a picture of them. They look pretty stiff to me here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and, right. and that would have been nice the, if they were adjustable. The nose gear is definitely not an Oleo. Okay. Gotcha. I'm looking at the mains now. But that's a great because they have gear doors. But that's a part people might come up with and, and add uh, some you know, spring loads in there. Sure. Yeah, maybe. All right, so it is steerable nose wheel. Okay. Uh, let's see. 
what we were talking about, the pilot figure? I guess you saw it from the front on this one. I, no, we weren't talking about the pilot figure. I wasn't. Well, I am not. Really. <laughs> I just briefly mentioned it. That's all. I saw a picture. Are you having fun, Brett? This is how we do it. This is how we jam. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the gyro, to be honest. Okay. Well, I'm really impressed by the fit of the canopy. It's um, kind of a beveled uh, connection here, and when it's in place, you can't even see the seam. It fits in really nicely. Hmm. And it's held magnetically. All right, the gyro is called a Reflex V2. Reflex, huh? And it is FMS branded. And it comes from them, hard-mounted to the fuselage. Probably with double-sided tape or something like that. I can't even pull that up at Horizon Hobby's website. Flight okay. controller. Reflex flight controller. Looks like they put it in some of their jets. See, that makes a lot of sense, but yeah, whatever. It looks like they've even vented the canopy so that you don't get uh, fogged up on cold mornings. This looks like a model that'll fly great with or without a gyro. Lots yeah, of wing yeah. area and not too much taper. It's going to be a floater. Yeah, and it's got dihedral on the outer panels. Banggood sells the gyro for $14.13. Yeah, so a bunch of Banggood links. <laughs> and is, eBay. What does Newegg sell it for? <laughs> Newegg. <laughs> it actually says it's available there, but anyway. All right, I was wrong, but it definitely isn't mentioned at all, either online or in the manual, so... It's one of those magical devices. You might get one, you might not. <laughs> All right, Lee, I'm looking for washout, and I'm not seeing it. It okay. might be there, but I've got a an incidence meter, but you know what? We're just going to say it doesn't have washout. Okay. All right. You're, you're two for two now. <laughs> <laughs> it says the uh, servos are 9-gram digitals. So they've got FMS stickers on them. Is there a wait marked on the uh, specs? Uh, six minutes. Let's <laughs> <laughs> try again. Wait. <laughs> My friend, please. Even if you do it in grams or ounces, I don't care. Yes. Uh, 0.6 stone. 0.6 stone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I got to look it up. But what's uh, this way? Two pounds? I see something here on the website. It's 3.2 roughly. I guess that's pounds. Yeah. has no units. It just says 3.196. That seems a bit much, but whatever. It can't, it can't be kilograms. Yeah. It can't be ounces. I'll let you know when it's yeah. all together. I guess that's all we have to say on that. Look for a review from Terry somewhere. Is this going to be a magazine or? Uh, uh, yeah, this will be a model aviation. Model aviation. So ah. in three months, it'll be out in model aviation. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and if I uh, fly it before our next episode, I'll yap about it then. Okay. So we'll have a follow-up upon uh, Terry's flight test of it. Or a follow-down. Hopefully mm. not. All right. On that note, we'll take a break while Terry puts the uh, pin back in the grenade and put his plane back in the box, and we'll be right back. We're back. And what the heck was that, Fitz? What do you mean? What do you mean? Chris you know Wolf what that was? is shaking his head at us right now. <laughs> well, good for him. No that danger zone. So funny. Hey, hey, hey! There's a reason. 
<laughs> which we'll get to in just a second because we are being joined, as I mentioned earlier, by Mr. Brett Becker. And uh, Brett, actually, if you listen to the show for some time, the name might sound familiar. Back at uh, Bomber Field B-17 event, I believe, last year, I ran it to Brett. Uh, he came all the way down from was it Illinois here in Dayton, Ohio. Ohio, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean any offense. From oh, Ohio, no. where all the chicks <laughs> have crimson lips. So uh, he came all the way down to Ohio to Texas to partake in the flying events at the B-17 event last year. And what really caught my eye was his XB-70 electric ducted fan that he brought that was just fantastic. Which and there's actually, a video on no YouTube. No pun intended. <laughs> yes, there's <laughs> uh, yeah, real fantastic. Uh, so it's a it was a beautiful model that he brought down, and I pulled him aside, and he spoke about it to us uh, for a few minutes. That's on that podcast. Uh, maybe we'll put a link on to that particular podcast uh, when this goes live. Uh, but anyways, it was uh, great talking to him. Uh, the B seven XB seventy was 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 extremely nice, big model, all scratch built, and what really uh, really impressed me, Brett, was that uh, not only with the build quality of the model, but that you weren't afraid to fly it. You flew it quite a few times at the event, uh, so you were fearless with it. I kept hearing pilots go, he's flying it again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, Brett. We all enjoyed it. it. Definitely <laughs> built to fly. Okay. No, it's great. Uh, so really glad because it looked like a nice flying model. Great to see it in the air. Um, I'll have to rib you a little bit. Uh, when you showed me the fans that you had, it was four Schlugler fans, right? Right. So basically you had... The same amount of money as a turbine in it. Electric <laughs> <Touching> fans. <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, when you include the batteries, it definitely was. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're, you just said was, as in past tense. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. They all have a lifespan. Um, <laughs> yeah, I lost the XB-70 earlier this year on oh, no. first flight of the season. It's It's a fix, but I haven't fixed it yet. It's one of those. Oh, it wasn't a total loss. It wasn't a total loss. Oh, nice. Um, it okay. was. Uh, it was a gyro-related issue that um, I had made some adjustments to the nose wheel steering, and I didn't think much of it, uh, but I should have. Um, when I took off, I, I had the gyro on. Um, something wasn't correct. I'm not exactly sure to this day what it was, but. As soon as it rotated off the runway, it was like it was a free flight model. It was uh, a I fast no free flight model. Yeah, pretty fr- fast and Mach you three. know it assumed it assumed just a slight left bank and it just held it. So it was like some sort of heading hold circle. or something. Yeah, still not sure what it is, but the lesson that I learned was that no matter what you change, no matter how small of an adjustment with the gyro, you always treat it like a whole new test flight. You turn the gyro off, you take off, you get to altitude, and then you turn it back on to test it. Because mm. I was so low to the ground, I didn't have time to really react. Um, and if I had been at altitude, it would have acted funny. I would have turned the gyro back off and probably still have it to this day. Mm. So does the gyro operate all axes on that model? does it's uh, it's primarily for uh, roll because it was pretty unstable in roll it would it would oscillate back and forth just because of the low aspect ratio delta 
mm-hmm. um, but it was working on all the uh, controls and it really helped for uh, takeoff and keeping it tracking down the runway. And those were the, the fine tuning adjustments I made and uh, didn't think anything of it. And uh, well, you, you learn. Uh, sorry to hear that. Oh, it's, uh, it's okay. You know, um, <laughs> it, it led to a new project. Okay. Yes. And before we get to that, let's uh, take a step back, Brett, and uh, just like to query you on a few things. Uh, how long have you been flying models? Um, flew my first RC airplane. It was a glider on the cliffs of Los Angeles. I was uh, about 13 years old. So I have been flying for almost uh, almost 30 years. Wow. I think that triggered something in Lee there, mentioning the gliders. <laughs> well, well, except the cliff part. <laughs> Slope soaring, yeah. We don't I do had, that here in Texas. I had to artificially climb my gliders up to altitude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So you've been flying for quite a while. That's uh, So you're a lifer, too, it sounds like. I I definitely am. I, um, you know, I, I grew up, nobody in my family did RC airplanes. Uh, my my older brothers got a, an RC airplane when I was young, and I wasn't allowed to to mess with it or uh, look at it. But it kind of planted the seed. Yeah, right. Interesting. So they didn't have any success with it, but um, later on down the line, I, I really was interested in it, and somehow I've just stuck with the hobby for all of these years, and have always you know, found a new project, something interesting. And, you know, one project leads to another. And here I am 30 years later, still uh, excited about the hobby. Well, hold on. I th- I think you have to give yourself a little more credit. Here you are 30 years later, Mr. Top Gun. Have we mentioned that part yet? No, we haven't. That's what I was alluding to. Yeah. So, so you built a new plane like <laughs> last year. Or I'm like say this it's, year. It's yin yang. He went from yin-yang. white to black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's true. These two projects could not be any farther apart. I mean, one is a low aspect ratio Mach 3 airplane, and the other's a, a jet powered sailplane, you know. Right. So they are completely on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes. So you scratch built a U 2, uh, and you took it to Top Gun this year. Last weekend. Last weekend. And you won. You won something. I know there's different prizes. Can you tell us uh, what you won at Top Gun this year? $5 gift certificate to McDonald's. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Something between the chiclets and the erasers. So before, I don't know, before he tells me what he won, I love, I need to know more about this airplane. I need to know every little detail. It must have been like 12, 14, 18 channels. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) All the channels. I mean, all all the channels. Yeah, it was. But, before before I talk about my role in the project, I would like to say that um, this was this is kind of a legacy project. Um, this was a, a project that was actually started by uh, a modeler in Texas. His name is uh, Renee Signs. Uh, he started this project in oh, about two thousand gosh, maybe two thousand sixteen, two thousand fourteen, several years ago, and. Um, he was very passionate about the U2, and he wanted to build a composite model of it. And he spent probably four years um, doing the the plug work 
and the molds for it. And he was extremely patient and detail oriented. He he made his he made his fuselage plug, and then he decided it was slightly off, so he started all over and built an entirely new one. Oh my gosh! Um, wow! And he he put in all of the panel lines, he put in all of the rivets, and he uh, made composite molds for it. Wow. And um, unfortunately, he he passed away earlier this year um, from cancer, and that's that's kind of where I entered into the project. Um, okay, his, so his, I, I just want to interject that. It's a, this is a small world because I know Renee, and he was, a, uh, I don't know if he was a member, but he, yeah, I think he was a member of our club that I fly at. And I had, I've had quite a few conversations with him, really nice guy. And I remember him when he had started working on that YouTube. We had another project before that. I can't remember what it was. Uh, but he had been, you're right, he had been working at that for quite some time. I remember having some back and forth conversations with him and some messaging. Uh, he kind of, he moved out of town, maybe near to Austin or something. I can't remember exactly where he was. Um, that and, sounds right. And, but I, I still occasionally would uh, get pinged by him or we would, you know, chat on Messenger or something like that. And he would sh- frequently send pictures of his project. And when he, I heard he passed away, I had kind of wondered what happened to his YouTube project. And that's absolutely amazing and fantastic that you were able to pick it up and finish it. That, that's just uh, well, I, I yeah, had no idea. Yeah, imagine a better outcome than the project being yeah. taken to Top Gun and given a trophy. Yes. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, um, Stephen Bird is a president of a, a club in Texas, and um, he was helping to – uh, you know, try to try to find a home for his his airplanes, and uh, this was this was a project that uh, Renee's wife wanted to see through to completion. Um, and I had followed the project on RC groups, on RC Scale Builder, um, watched his YouTube videos numerous times, just kind of seeing what methods he was using for his composites, which I'm a an avid fan of building composite airplanes. And so, um, I, I didn't hesitate to, to try to get involved. And, um, that's, that's really how the project started. And my goal was to see Renee's vision completed. Um, so I just kind of popped up, look at some of my old messages that I had talked to Renee. One of the last things I had talked to him about was, uh, 3D printing. He had come up with a control panel. Uh, that he had designed for the U2. And we had a sort of, we were talking about 3D printing some of that stuff. Did you, did you get those files or did you get any of that? I, I didn't get the files, but I have that part. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So I got, um, I, I got, I got the molds and, um, I got a lot of the, the composite materials, but I didn't get any formal plans. I didn't have, um, I didn't really have anything other than the physical thing. So I, I, to be honest, when I, when I got the project, I went back and I watched every single YouTube video over and over again to, to get an idea of what direction he was going. Um, and I, I kind of just took on where he left. Now, when did you pick up the project? 
So, um, Stephen, Stephen Bird and myself met up. He drove up from Texas, and we met up in Illinois um, to trade to to get the the molds. And we weren't able to meet up until the COVID restrictions were lifted. So um, it was probably May. It was early May when I picked up the project. Oh my gosh! So from May to October, you put together. A Top Gun winning project. That seems like a super accelerated timeline. Even I, yeah. ignoring the fact that it's a composite airplane with no previous you know, flights on it. No um, prototypes. Right. I I spent every every free second I had for the last five and a half months. <laughs> I was gonna say, did you even sleep? My 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 wife is happy to see the model completed. <laughs> 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 she stares at it sternly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, that's what you look like. Yeah. She's, she's more accepting of it now that it's one top gun. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was it one of those things where you just come sliding into Lakeland, uh, not quite every, you know, tightening all the bolts and things like that? Or did you actually have time to finish it and put some flights on it and be ready? Yeah. The paint's still drying when you get there. <laughs> right. Um, the way the way that I would describe it is over the last several months, I didn't take any shortcuts on the project. Um, I didn't cut any corners, but I spent every second I had working on it that when I wasn't actually working. Um, and it barely got done in time. It was it was finished the way that I wanted it to, but it didn't leave us much time. We maidened it the weekend before Top Gun. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we got we got two flights on it. It flew it flew great. Um but we I went to Top Gun not really knowing the airplane. You know, the the XB70 when you guys saw me flying it at Bomber Field, I had 100 flights on it. You know, I yeah. I I knew all of its qualities, you know, where what to do and what not to do. And with with this U2, my first round flight was its third flight. So, um, see, that's a a whole other thing that that makes this impressive because Top Gun is not just a beauty contest. You have to fly it in a scale like manner. And so here you are on the third flight getting scored and doing well. You know, um, the the first round flight wasn't the greatest. Uh, It was, um, I believe, it was a 91. Uh, 91 and change that's not um, good I, no that's not competitive it's not competitive but they do they do four rounds and they drop your lowest score and so my scores steadily improve throughout the flights okay um but i have to say that still still learning the airplane but it's inherently a good flying airplane so um we had that going for us uh right. lots of wing area high aspect ratio um a, a long tail moment, generous rudder or vertical stabilizer area, and tons of power. So it was a it was a good flying airplane. Did um, did it have much for adverse yaw for the ailerons? A lot of times gliders will have that. Good question. You know, we were I was kind of anticipating it, and to be honest, I I didn't really notice too much adverse yaw. It does it does look more scale if you coordinate the the rudder with the ailerons, but. No, no real adverse yaw, but um, we did set it up so that the aileron, the upgoing aileron, goes uh, has more deflection 
than the the downturning one. So okay, that yeah. helps create yaw into that turn. Uh, good thinking. <laughs> now on the full scale U2, they typically have a chase car as it comes in for a landing to help call out the altitude. Do you right. have a scale Camaro that you bring in for the flights? <laughs> Not yet, but we've talked about it. How, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Terry what? beat me to it. I was going to say, maybe uh, your wife could do that. <laughs> well, actually, I remember seeing one at an air show. And not only did they have the chase car, but they had another car that would plug the landing gear back in on the wingtips. Oh, right. Right. So, so, yeah, I'm thinking about that. The U-2 has center landing gear and then these little outriggers on the wingtips. Does that pose any problems for takeoff and landing in terms of controllability um it to be honest it um it will actually balance on those two main wheels uh without the the pogos in calm conditions uh one one wing doesn't fall it'll it'll just say balance Um, but we do have the pogos and they do work um and i didn't i i ended up not using them at top gun um, simply because we had calm conditions, wind was right down the runway, um, and it was just potentially one more thing to go wrong. But mm-hmm. uh, we did use them on the test flight, and they're really cool. So, huh? So you, they weren't even installed um, on your model? They n- not for the flight rounds. They they were hmm. they were installed for the the static portion of the competition. Um, but during the flight rounds, we we placed the airplane on the runway since it's it was never really designed like the full one, the full size one to taxi. It doesn't taxi very well, mm-hmm. so we just placed it on the center line of the runway, and you, you say you know starting takeoff, and uh, you go from there. And you don't lose any points for not being able to taxi. No, you don't. So okay, good. Um, you know, like for example, World War One airplanes that don't have a tail wheel. It's perfectly acceptable for somebody to wheel it out to the grass portion of the runway and line it up and let go of it. Okay. Makes sense. So, so the, by the pictures I saw, this looks like a really big model. What are the dimensions on this thing? What's the wingspan? It's a 120-inch wingspan, 10 feet, um, and it's one-eighth scale. It's uh, 23 pounds, um, and it's powered by a another Schubler. It's an HDS-86, which is their 120-millimeter uh, plug-and-play uh, fan, and it was running on um, 12S-6600 Roaring Top LiPos. Um, nice. What kind of runtime you get, you, you estimate? This is incredible. So on the maiden flight, it, I was concerned that my telemetry wasn't working because the current was barely moving. This thing was flying on almost zero power. Um, just a couple clicks of power and it was maintaining altitude flight times over 10 minutes. Wow. Wow. For an EDF, that's just amazing. (laughs) Now, is this the first time an EDF or an electric in general has one top gun? It's the first time that it's won the, the top, uh, an EDF has won the top prize at top gun. Um, I believe that, um, electrics have won team scale, uh, in the past, I can think of a couple examples. Oh, yeah, it was um, an old B twenty nine or the a TU four right. maybe. Yes, that yeah. one. I think it was um, a King Air that won something too, wasn't it? Oh right, yeah, yeah. Mike Barbie and Frank Knoll with the with that King Air, they've they've done really well in team scale with that. And 
I believe that at some point, uh, Bob Violet also flew uh, an electric, either a MIG or a, an F-80. Um, so, but okay. uh, as far as as far as winning, you know, first place expert and uh, the the highest score for um, Mr. Top Gun, this is the first time so, that I'm aware of. So that leads into what exactly you want, because I'm not that uh, knowledgeable about Top Gun and all the different awards can you kind of describe which ones you won and i guess well, how that matters? i would like to know kind of a, a broad view of what top gun actually is and how you get there and then what you won sure. okay fine <laughs> <laughs> so you complete me fits <laughs> frank frank tiano who's a, a great um event promoter who does florida jets and top gun started this in 1989 um, it was an invitational. It initially started off with simply an expert class. I think that evolved into an expert and a team scale class. And then later they added a, a master class, which meant that um, not only uh, are you building and flying your airplane, but you actually are the designer of it. So that would be like Bob Violet flying his model or Nick Zairoli flying a Nick Zairoli model. So those would be master class entries. Um, Lance Campbell with his SR-71 a couple of years ago, he, he was in the master's class. Um, over the last couple of years, they've added additional class classes that um, allow people to compete who aren't the original builder of the model. Those would be the, the Pro-Am classes. Uh, they have a Pro-Am prop for only prop planes, a Pro-Am jet. They also have a, um, a Pro-Am sport class, which basically is an entry level. Um, and all you have to do for those classes is say, this is a, a full-size airplane, and you just show them one picture of the, the full-size airplane, and you get everybody gets the same static score. I believe it's 25 points. And so the majority of the the event for them is all in the flying. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are a couple other uh, classes, like an unlimited class, where you could have um, you could have one builder, you could have one pilot, you would have a, an owner of the plane, um, and you know you could even have like crew. So it, that would really be a, an, a team effort. Uh, they also have a an X class which is essentially designed for ARFs. Um, and, but when we're talking <laughs> ARFs, we're talking like high-end, high-quality, pre-manufactured airplanes like Skymaster, BVM, or... Um, CARF, uh, maybe? CARF, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, they introduced a foamy EDF class, which was really interesting and appeared to be really popular. Um, one of the... Th- so... It was also not having much in terms of the static scoring. So there was just a baseline static score. But they reduced the number of maneuvers that were required by one, just so that those um, models would have enough endurance to complete the routine and get down. Hmm. So, now, You guys remember the SU-27 we saw at the Expo? Yeah, the E-Flight one? Yeah, I believe that one, the class he's talking about with oh, wow. Ali. <laughs> Am I right, Brett? Um, I am not sure if that one, I, I definitely saw a couple of those as well as the MiG 29s and, Mm -hmm. um, some other free wing airplanes. There was, there was a lot there, but to be honest, I'm not exactly sure who won. Interesting. I had no idea that class existed. I'll roll that back. It might not have won, but it definitely participated. Hmm. 
Okay, so we have a, a decent view of Top Gun. Now, it's not an invitational anymore. Anybody who thinks they can compete is allowed to sign up and go? Um, it would technically be an invitational, but Frank Tiano is looking to um, to include everybody who's interested uh, with the spots that are available. So anyone who would be interested would uh, write him an email. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would, he would be able to, to send out an invite. So it's a self-invitational. Yeah. yeah. But you don't have to win a regional qualifier or anything like that. It's uh one step to get to Top Gun. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Cause scale masters in the past, you'd have to place highly in one of those regional qualifiers, but, um, times have changed. Now, how many times have you competed at Top Gun before? This was my... This was my fourth time competing. Um, I I started off in 2017 in the the pro am class, the lowest class, uh, just to to gain experience. I was flying the XB70. Um, I came back that next year, 2018. I believe I stayed in the the pro am class just to just to try to improve, and I did. Each each year I improved with the XB70. Uh, in the off seasons, we were able to to fine tune the gyro, um, and Top Gun is notorious for having extremely challenging weather conditions, crosswinds, gusts, um, changing wind directions. Uh, so it it really um, it really challenges the pilots, even if they're comfortable with the airplane. The gyros can really make a huge difference um, in these adverse conditions and. Each year, we we knew the airplane better, mm-hmm. and that that really showed in the the flight scores. Um, and then last year, I moved up from the pro am sport class to expert. Um, having been the the builder of the model, I was able to uh, compete in the expert class. And uh, once you compete in the expert class, your your score is now divided fifty percent static score. 50% flight score hmm. um, and uh, fantastic experience. The judges down there are extremely generous with their time. They'll, they'll explain to you what's right, what's wrong, what needs to be different um, and what the downgrades are. So, um, hmm. you know, it's, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not an arbitrary process. Everything is very clear and you, you understand that, if they can see your control linkages to your elevator, your elevons, that there's going to be a deduction for that. Mm-hmm. And so that's an incentive when you're building your airplane to try to hide all of those things and to, to conceal as much as possible. So when you took on this YouTube project, you had Top Gun in mind from the first get-go. 100%. I had, okay. I had recently lost the XB70. I decided I needed to take a break from it. Um, and the opportunity came for the U2. Uh, I had, I had followed Renee's work. I knew the quality and I knew immediately that, that that had the potential to do really well in terms of its, um, outline. And, um, so I jumped on it. Now, from what I understand, a lot of scale competitors have their primary competition plane and they'll have a backup as well. Doesn't sound like you had a backup. (laughs) <laughs> not only did I not have a backup, but my, my competition model had barely been flown. <laughs> right. 
And now you were talking about the static uh, competition or the static part of the competition. Are, do you have to provide documentation that goes along with that? Yes. So um, it's it's pretty incredible the way that they that you document your project. So they have they have three static judges. One of them is uh, dedicated to the outline of the model. So you provide them with a three view. Um, and they are going to compare that to your model. So you'll be showing them, you'll position the model for them head on. And after they get done looking at it, then they'll ask you to rotate at 90 degrees so that they can look at the side view. And then they'll have you put it, the model on its nose so that they can judge the top view. So they're looking at it from all angles and any deviations would be a downgrade, um, in the outline portion. While, while those judges are doing that, you have a, um, a color markings and finish judge who's looking at your paint job, whether your paint matches the documentation of the full-scale model, whether the markings are accurate, the right size and the right location, and also whether the model has the appropriate um, shine to it. And um, so one thing that's important is telling the judges, are you are you modeling this plane that's like fresh off the assembly line? Um, or are you modeling a plane that's kind of been out in the Pacific and has been exposed to, you know, six months of intense sun rays and it, the paint looks faded. So you're, you're giving them feedback on what you're actually replicating. Interesting. Now I heard you did kind of okay in the static portion. Yeah, I did. Okay. Did okay. The, the the U two managed to get a, a perfect score, which is unheard of. Um, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, I thought that the U two would do well, but had no idea. Um, the the U two that I modeled is located in a museum in Georgia, at the Museum of Aviation, which is adjacent to Robbins Air Force Base. Oh right, I've been there. It's a good museum great museum and they were extremely generous and helpful um, in providing me information on the paint uh, and just some of the the finer details of the model. Uh, on the way down to Top Gun we stopped off at the museum and they they allowed me to bring the airplane into the museum and take photos of with the model with the full scale. Which <laughs> <is> oh cool. <laughs> Once in a lifetime experience. Yes. Was. So. Uh, I just, all right, I have so many questions. There's a whole list of them here. So I'm imagining painting an all black airplane and trying to get a good, consistent finish is a total nightmare, especially if you've had to lay your own fiberglass parts and all that. So was it as bad as I imagined? It was incredibly difficult. I didn't expect black to be such a challenge. Um, initially the strategy that I had was to get an actual piece of the U2 of a U2 and to give that to the judges as my color chip for documentation. Uh-huh. And it turns out I was able to get, I was able to get the chip, but, um, I really had a hard time because the model in the full scale in the Georgia museum, um, the paint didn't look exactly like the piece that I had from from a, a crashed U2. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a little bit more of a, a shine to it, almost like a satin finish. And so I was I was kind of like on the fence. What do I do? Do I paint it like this chip that I have, 
or do I paint it like the photos of the one in the museum? Mm -hmm. The museum didn't actually know exactly what paint had been used to paint their U2. So the ways that you can document this for the judges, one way is a color chip to say that this is painted, you know, federal standard, you know, um, and to give them that color chip, they can put it up to your model and verify that it's accurate. Another way is that you can have a photo of the airplane that you're uh, modeling and say, here, I am using this photo for color um, and use this. And that's ultimately what I did because I didn't know what the paint was. Right. Um, yeah, I've heard that a lot of people have real challenges, especially with World War One airplanes, where there is no reliable reference to you know, what color they actually were. That's right. World War One's extremely difficult to document. Oftentimes, they don't even have photos. They might just have a um, a color rendering of what some artist thought it looked like. Yeah. Or is that actually liberating? Then you don't have to go to any. Well, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm guessing here, but it seems like that might actually give you some freedom to explore a little bit. Um. You know, I, I don't build World War One planes, um, but uh, I would imagine that it could be a challenge because for you to get all of your points, you have to document that this is where the markings were. So um, I'm sure I'm sure the judges might be a little bit more forgiving on some of those older airplanes that are harder to document because um, you know I'm sure they can spend spend tons of time reading through old books and, and looking for documentation, but I'm sure there's just, it's limited. Right. So, so what kind of paint did you use on a model? So I ended up using um, a flat black lacquer um, and the, to, to get the shine of the, the black that was in the museum. And it wasn't a gloss. It was just a really slight satin finish shine. I, I used steel wool. And I rubbed down the flat black, and that that brought just enough shine to it to um, that you can mm. see that in the light. And mm. um, while we were at the museum, I was able to take the hatch off my model and put it next to the full size U two, and the hatch almost disappeared. You couldn't really see it. Oh wow! So, it, so you nailed it. That, <laughs> That was put into the document. That photo was put into my documentation packet for the judges. <laughs> all right. I feel like we've been stomping all over Lee. Come on, Lee. What questions do you have? <laughs> I, I just like listening to Brett talk. I have lots of questions, but they're not all down the same path. That's okay. Brett, Brett did we ask what you do for a living? Um, I'm, a, I'm a physician, actually. So this is this is uh, this is what I do to. This is what I enjoy. I enjoy the hobby. Are you a physician for humans or animals? <laughs> <laughs> for humans. For humans. Okay. Do you do so, surgery? I don't do surgery. Uh, uh, sounds like you'd be I perfect for it. I thought about doing surgery. I thought about doing surgery, but I decided I enjoyed um, having a life. Also, <laughs> wanted to build airplanes. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of want to do more. I I <laughs> I was laughing to myself. I didn't I didn't want to interrupt your speech. But when you when you held up the hatch to the other U two and you said you took a picture of it, you should have taken another picture where it's just your hand. 
<laughs> and you, what you don't see is my hatch is completely blended in with the other two. My hatch is right there in my hand. You just can't tell. Well, the part that got my attention was when you said you have a piece of a real U2. Do you just go on eBay and type in crashed U2? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. How do you get a piece of a U2 legally? I did do that. I did, I did search eBay, but I didn't find anything. Um, well, shoot, he could have called Tony. Tony probably, he, you know, his daughter, they're always out in that desert looking for plane. Oh, yeah, they, they find all kinds of stuff out there, yeah. <laughs> Uh, amazingly, uh, a gentleman reached out to me, and he's a an aviation archaeologist, and that's <laughs> that's a hobby into itself, apparently. Wow! And he hikes, he hikes um, crash sites. Wow. His name and... wasn't Indiana Boeing, was it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know how they have those guys with the butterfly cases. Everything's pinned to there. There's this name of a butterfly. He's got right. all these little metal parts. <laughs> B seventeen, B twenty nine, P eighty. Hot glue to a shuttle box. Continue down my questions. Uh, I I would like more detail about your model. How many channels is it? What do you have functioning on there that maybe we we're not you know we don't recognize that you'd have to have some other channel for a function that's you know not common i mean i'm looking at the gear doors and uh obviously does it have a break on on that uh, main gear it it does not have a break every single gear door <laughs> is on its own channel and um bob bellamini uh is a programming wizard and uh he was able to help me get this programmed uh it was it was beyond my abilities and he was very patient. And um, with the electrical retracts, there's like an eight-second delay. And so using, using the Futaba radio, we had each gear door on its own channel to do the timing. Um, so that was, that was the biggest challenge with programming. But I think it's somewhere around like 12 or 13 channels um, total. So it would be each control surface. Um, Flaps, ailerons, elevator, rudder, plus the gear doors, which is four, then the landing gear, then the steering, and then obviously the power system. So, so that was all in the radio. You did all the gear door sequencing. Ye- yes, that's that's how we wow. ultimately did it. And because because it was such a long delay, like over eight seconds uh, for the for the electric gear to completely cycle. Yeah, um, we had to go through the the radio interesting oh, well wow. see i would have used arduino myself but that's just me hmm. i haven't used one of those before oh they're magical <laughs> <laughs> so i guess that long cycle time could present some problems if you ever had an emergency landing but then that's again true. it's a glider so maybe not it definitely could it the judges like it because it looks more scale like to mm-hmm. to have it you know take eight seconds to do the full cycle. Whereas with the XB seventy, it was too fast, and I got downgraded because it was pneumatic gear, and I I, I couldn't slow it down enough. Really? Oh, so they'll score you on the speed of your retracts. So one of one of as far as the f- flight scoring goes, so you have several required maneuvers like. For example, takeoff and landing 
a high-speed pass and a low-speed pass. Those are required maneuvers. <laughs> um, <laughs> what if your plane has, like, no distinction between high-speed and low-speed? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go well, ahead. Uh, that reminds me, when I was a kid, we used to go to the air show in Titusville all the time, and they had an Antonov AN-2 that they would fly there, and they would do a high-speed pass and a low-speed pass, and it was almost exactly the same speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes it easy. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, go ahead. What are the, the other maneuvers? So, so you can do a variety of maneuvers. F-16s can do just about anything. Four-point rolls, loops, um, mm. knife edge passes. Piper Cubs can't do as much. Um, they can do like chandelles, like a, um, mm. a turn that's gaining altitude that levels off 180 degrees going the other direction. Or you could do a descending 360. You know, simple maneuvers that non-aerobatic airplanes would do. But you also can do a mechanical maneuver, like such as a bomb drop or um, having retractable landing gear or even having multi-engines would qualify for the mechanical. Huh. And, and Brett, so, get, Brett, Brett gets points because he actually takes pictures of everybody down below and he <laughs> sends them to Russia or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you put a little mini camera on it, it takes a surveillance. Is that a mechanical feature? That's a, that's a great idea. Got to be honest with you, I asked about it and it got uh, vetoed. So oh. <laughs> tried though, oh. I tried. I just love the idea of him taking black and white pictures during the run, and then he gets to display them afterwards. Yeah. I see you're scoring me on this part here with a ninety-three. <laughs> I see the missiles in your pickup truck. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, we interrupt. Tell us what you actually did. So for the U two, the the obvious mechanical maneuver would be the retracts. So oh, okay. um, having that eight seconds, it, it looks fairly realistic. And uh, so use that for the mechanical. So are you expected and did you do a scale departure? Um, a scale so, departure. Well, from what I understand, U2 kind of takes off at a very high de descent or excuse me, ascent angle. Like you yes. climb at 45 degrees. and That was like... That was like the one thing I wanted to do, be able to do with this project, because otherwise the U-2 is a fairly straightforward flying airplane, didn't do much. But the one thing that it's really cool is that it can do a 60 degree climb out, basically unobstructed to 50,000 feet or 70,000 feet. Wow. So um, this thing with the Schubler fan has plenty of thrust to do an almost vertical pullout. Oh my gosh! And we definitely did do that. That was uh, definitely for my next trip, fifty thousand feet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you get scale wing flex in both directions? That would be nice. the The wings are pretty stiff. They don't they don't flex. Um, but it would it would be really neat to build another one that had a little bit more wing flex, just to kind of give it that look. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so what we have here, guys, so far, we need a chase car, we need a camera system, and we need wing flex. <laughs> yeah, let's tell them how to improve the model <laughs> yeah, exactly. that just won the most prestigious award. <laughs> We're going to get you to be Senior Top Gun. Senior Top Gun? Optimus Magnus Top Gun. Well, does this mean that you're not able to campaign this model anymore, or can you bring it back? You can bring it back. Okay. Um, th they used to, early on in the Top Gun days, you had a three-year limit, term limit. So, um, But that they have removed that. So I, I would be able to bring this back next year. Is it too early to say whether or not you plan to do that? Uh, 
Yeah, I haven't I haven't really decided to be honest. Alright. Um do you, you need something to take up I have every mixed feelings. Wiki. I have mixed feelings on it. <laughs> Did you well, have I was gonna, Well, do you have a plan for another project for Top Gun? I'm guessing he has us. plans for half a dozen projects. <laughs> yeah. He's going to wait till the, the day before to release it. <laughs> there you go. Right, well, that's a good point. Yeah. I you have don't, lots you don't have to of projects. I do have lots of projects. I would. Um, I think I would his like wife... to build something for the for the um, master class. It would be really neat to mm-hmm. to compete in that class. Remind me what that is. That's that's the one where you're you're the designer as well as the builder and the pilot. So, okay. Whereas in this case, Renee is the designer of this U two, mm-hmm. so this this plane would not qualify for um, me flying it in the in the master's class. Okay, gotcha. So by its very nature, master's class is all scratch build. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. <clears throat> it's you know it's really cool um, to to even be able to participate. I. I got to be honest. I I never went to Top Gun to win. I um I really enjoyed participating and learning the the art of scale competition and just trying to do better than I did the previous year. Um I I grew up looking at model airplane news and RCM magazine and always looked forward to the scale competitions just because there was such a cool diversity of models that were unique, and you didn't see models that nice at the local flying field. Right. And um, just just to be able to be there among um, that caliber of modeler was that that in itself was an achievement. Well, the two airplanes that we know you for, the XB seventy and the U two, are very unique. Or do you have a, a cub or an ugly stick in your hangar? No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> Did yeah. you, do you fly yeah, sport planes? Yeah. Um, I fly. I fly sport jets. Um, I have uh, like a BVM Viper that I enjoy flying. Um, I have a BVM Bandit that uh, is a lot of fun. Uh, my last foamy was the Free Wing A4 um, that I flew. I think before that I had a. Uh, a free wing F one hundred four, the the seventy millimeter. That was a lot of fun. So, to see, do we see a common denominator in all this? <laughs> it sounds like you're very much a jet guy, aren't you? He's a fan. I love man. the jets. I, you know what? I love props, though. I, um, right as long now, as they're I'm in a jet, in a f- <laughs> with a couple other friends next to it. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I love high performance. It? High performance is where it's at for me. Uh, so. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a jet, but um, jets are a great way to get a high-performance plane that's also scale. So I think that's why the jets appeal to me. Uh, but, but you could always build a uh, Reno racer. There you go. Oh, man. <laughs> so many of them. Dago Red or Strega or Critical Mass. I Tsunami. see you with great. a pushy cat. <laughs> pushy cat. That's. I like it. I like it. That's a great one. Brett, if you don't mind, I'd be curious to know uh, what other aircraft at the event caught your eye at Top Gun. No, no so, pressure. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm just taking it in because there are a lot of incredible aircraft from uh, a diverse um, 
time frame. So uh, some of the nicest World War One airplanes you'll ever see will be at Top Gun. Mm. Um, Rich, who won first place in Masters, had a, a gorgeous Albatross. Um, David Hayes has this really cool crop duster um, that he, he's got like baby powder, talcum powder that comes out on the passes. It looks real. <laughs> he's um, won before, if I remember. Numerous times. He, yeah. he definitely has. Um, uh, Henry, uh, Henry had this awesome airliner this year. It was, I, I forget. I, I, I want to say it was a Dreamliner that was massive. Uh, that flew excellent. Ali has uh, 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 an ME262 that Tron built. Um, and Mike Fetko has a gaggle of World War II um, Navy aircraft, including the recently competed, uh, completed uh, TBM Avenger by Peter Goldsmith. Um, mm. And that's incredible. Henry Henry built a, a quarter scale P40B model that uh, David Shulman uh, flew uh, to first place, I believe, in the unlimited class. And these are all like unique, one of a kind airplanes that um, it's just a treat just to be able to to see them. Really is. Wow. No, I've seen a few different uh, competition scale models, and it surprised me because on some of them you take off a hatch and the structure on the inside is not nearly and clean is not nearly as clean and pretty as the outside is so i don't suspect that's the case with your models but is there a little bit less pressure to make the inside as pretty as the outside i i mean i would imagine that that people can get away with that i i personally haven't seen it at least at top gun everything for the most part, what I've seen, they look very clean on the inside and on the outside. But I mean, you're right. You know, uh, who cares if it's a 36 inch extension or a 24 <laughs> inch? You know, if it just right. you know, it can look like spaghetti in there as long as it gets to the receiver. All right. Now, now, speaking of inside, I thought I had once read that there's a rule that you don't require a pilot figure. Is that true, or am I going off on the left field? So if you can see the pilot in the full scale, you need a pilot. Otherwise, you get, I believe, a 10% uh, flight deduction per round. Mm. Um, now, if, if for example, it's an XB-70 or a, a, a large airliner where it's you wouldn't see the pilot, there's no deductions for those. Interesting. Okay. Okay, now, so I imagine... Sometime on Saturday, you start thinking, hmm, I might actually be able to win this thing. Does that impact your level of nerves as you go into those final flight rounds? So, so we had so many mechanical problems um, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we didn't even have a chance to look at what our flight scores were. Every once in a while, somebody would come around and make some comment about you know what place we were in and to be honest we were just kind of blocking it out i had i had the tail wheel retract get ripped out every single flight of the event from landing on the grass uh, and oh so it happened the first round and just said you know okay whatever i know i know how this is going to be you know it, it's going to happen every single time and well we'll just glue it every single flight <laughs> 
and get through it. And that's what we ended up doing. I had um, I had uh, the battery hatch fall off on one flight midair. Um, struggled to find it and got very lucky to find it out in the field. Um, so, so did they deduct you for those kind of things? They, uh, I would imagine that it it could deduct me. I'm not actually sure whether that that would have weighed into the realism portion of the score. So if you have an aircraft that has an ejection seat, can you have the pilot eject and be a mechanical uh, scoring <laughs> event? That's a great idea. You <laughs> <laughs> have to crash after. Wait, of course you have to crash. Yeah, you can score down to crash and debris. And Brent, when you do that, though, make sure you scream out, this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, wait. There was an instance where like a, the, the back seater ejected, but the front guy didn't. Right. 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 I think there was an incident where somebody punched out of a crusader and it came to rest on the desert or something. In relatively uh, yeah. Uh, there was a, a Delta dart or Delta dagger. Did yeah. Maybe that's what it was. A one Oh six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. All right, anyway, we're, we're, we're going further off course. Let's get back on. That's course what so we, we do. <laughs> that's how we roll. All right. So we'll, let's go back to the part where your hatch fell off and we'll just try to splice it back in. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so, so the the hatch coming off, um, uh, it came off going downwind. It was pretty far out there. Um, I'm not sure if the judges saw it, um, to be honest. No. But I, I'm not sure exactly. I'm not sure how the judging goes for that. But theoretically, it could definitely affect the realism score. Hmm. But it's um, not a disqualification. I thought I'd heard somewhere that in certain scale competitions if you lose a piece of your airplane in flight it's like a, i don't know either a deduction or the, i don't know maybe that, that could definitely be i know that's the case in maybe a pattern competitions oh maybe um, that's what i'm thinking of yeah okay so it, it yeah. turns out uh, it turns out in top gun um i'm i'm not aware of any definitive rule on how they how they manage that situation okay well we won't tell anybody then <laughs> so so does top gun allow you to mulligan <laughs> you they one do. Mistake? oh they do. i was thinking it was a joke so did you have to use one i did use a mulligan holy I, smokes tell me more so um on this so i mentioned that the the tail wheel retract needed to be glued in in between every single round flight um on the on the second flight i thought it was in and it really was poorly attached um, and as we went to accelerate, um, I lost the steering, and it um, it deviated off of the runway. It never got into the air, um, and it it stopped on the grass runway. And so I actually, since I hadn't taken off, it didn't count as a flight round. And so what I was able to do was I would go to the end of the line for that flight round. Um, and that would be used for anybody with like a turbine, somebody who has like a, a hot start or they're not able to start up their engine within that window of when their flight is, that they're allowed to have that one mulligan that one time and then they can go to the back of the round and reattempt. They call that the Tanya Harding rule. <laughs> <laughs> the laces, the laces. Anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> But that is interesting. I like that you can do that. And it worked out for you, I guess, the second time. It did. So we had just enough time to go back and um, get everything secure and working. And we had no problem uh, 
the next attempt. So I, I ended up using that mulligan. So it sounds like the atmosphere and the rules are not as cutthroat and strict as I would imagine. Is this more of a, a fly-in among scale enthusiasts than it is a backstabbing competition for the trophy? Um, it, I, I would say that it, it can be very competitive. I mean, the, the difference between first and second place is often less than a, a point. Um, but at the same time, everybody out there is a scale modeler enthusiast who appreciates the, the efforts that others are making. And, um, so I, I think, I think it can be competitive and also be a time where everybody can kind of share their, their passion for scale RC airplanes. So I think his answer to you, Terry, is no, he did not find a horse head in his bed the next day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm kind of upset with myself because I grew up in Florida and knew about Top Gun since I was a kid, but I have never actually been out to see one of these events. Yeah. So, I, oh, man, that would have been... Were, were you... At, I guess early early on it was held in Palm Beach, is my right. understanding. At the Polo Grounds, right? Heard, they punched a few holes in roofs around there and had to move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it now it's outside of uh, Lakeland Regional Airport, which is where they hold the Sun and Fun Sun and Fun Air Show every year, which is pretty uh, well known. And um, they have a I think it's about 800 feet, an 800-foot paved RC airplane runway. And right beyond the runway, they have a, a grass runway. It's approximately the same size. So, um, you know, it, it basically can cater to just about any scale airplane. And you said you were landing on grass? So I was actually, yeah, I was taking off on the pavement um, because of the configuration of the model. And then I was landing on the grass. So that when my wingtips came to rest, they they dragged on the grass as opposed to the asphalt. Gotcha. And there's no penalty for that. Nope, you're allowed to do that as long okay. as you as long as you tell the judges what you're going to do before you do it. Um, that's what they're going to judge you on. So for the takeoff, I explained to them that this is this is unusual, but this is really how steep a U two can climb out at you know forty to sixty degrees and. So they were they were perfectly fine with that. Okay. So what's the landing approach like in a U2? Is it steep or is it relatively flat? The U2 is extremely efficient. I mean, it's a it's a 23-pound efficient glider. It it does not like to slow down. Um fortunately, it has really large flaps um at Without 30 degrees of flaps, it will get, you know, a couple feet off the ground and get into a ground effect and just keep going and going mm. and going. <laughs> um, but once we were able to get uh, 30 degrees of flaps, I think that was kind of the point where the drag started increasing and there was less lift. And that allowed the plane to slow down. And then you could start to power it up and bring it in for the landing and as opposed to just kind of like a dead stick landing. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty low approach actually, just to try to keep it level to the ground and, um, not pointing the nose down too much. Okay. And had you figured that out by the time you got to Lakeland? No. In <laughs> fact, 
<laughs> in, in fact, the, the first round flight for Top Gun was the first time I had test flown it with the 30 degrees of flaps. Ah, okay. So the maiden, the first two flights, we had approximately 10 degrees for the takeoff flap and 20 degrees for the landing flap. Um, and it just, just wasn't enough to really slow it down. So between be, you know, in that week, I increased the flaps a little bit more and it made a tremendous difference, significant improvement. Hmm. Now you mentioned that you had good weather and also that this event is sometimes plagued by gusty winds. Do you think it would have affected the outcome had the weather not been so in your favor? I do. Um, this is, these were the best conditions that we've had at Top Gun in the last four years that I've been participating. Um, part of it might have been, uh, the fact that, uh, because of COVID, the, the, the event was, that's normally held in early May was delayed till, um, last week of October. Um, mm. but we had very favorable conditions this past week. Um, and for the for the U2, which is, you know, it's it's not really designed to taxi around very much. Uh, a crosswind could have uh, definitely impacted the flight scores more than maybe some of the other airplanes that have, you know, wide tricycle landing gear, you know, wide landing gear stance. Mm. Uh, to be honest, I feel I feel very lucky. There's there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of situations where things could have gone wrong and the stars kind of aligned. You know, I mentioned the, the retractable landing gear got, got really fortunate with that. The, the hatch felt very fortunate with that. Um, there were some, some flight rounds where there was a mild crosswind. Um, and by chance, by the time it was my window, winds had calmed down. And um, I've spoken to other competitors who have, uh, been doing it for years and, you know, some, sometimes these things happen where, you know, it's this, this matter of circumstance. And I, I definitely feel that that played into it this year for me. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess that kind of luck was a factor, but on top of that, you had a, an airplane that had a perfect static score and you obviously flew it well on top of that. So I hope you didn't get the impression that I was hinting that, you know, luck got you over the finish line. No, not at all. I, I, um, I feel that, uh, I, I was prepared as, as best as I could. Um, and I, I do feel like there was luck involved despite that. I mean, you still gotta, you still gotta be there, but. You know, I would imagine that every winner every year could probably cite some, some bit of luck throughout the weekend that helped them win as well. So. I, I would imagine so, especially yeah. when the, the scores are as close as they are. Yeah. So what was the second place winner this year? Um, second place winner this year was uh, Mike Barbie with his King Air. It was oh, okay. a twin electric. A really nice model. Um, he has, he has uh, geared electric motors, and uh, because of the gearing of it, it, it really does sound like a turboprop, like the full size. Hmm. Yeah, I've seen videos of it flying before. It looks really good. Yeah, it's unusual to hear about geared electric motors nowadays. It's interesting. Yeah. He he planned it out. I mean, he wanted he wanted that noise and he he really captured it. 
Mm, cool. Was it planetary? I don't. I don't actually know. That's a good question. I'm not. I'm not sure what the arrangement is. But he has this starting sequence that the the judges can see, where one one of the props starts spinning up, and then once that's going, then he has the the other one start up in sequence, mm. and it's very realistic. Oh, cool. It's, it's, a, it's a it's a very nice airplane, and uh, it's unique, also. Cool. Now, on your model, is there much off-the-shelf equipment that you're able to incorporate? Or do you have to scratch build or fabricate most of the things on there? The the airframe, for the most part, is just made from raw materials. That's mostly from scratch. I mean, the you know, for example, fiberglass, I vacuum bag balsa wood skins into the wing. Um, the spars are made out of uh, special high-density foam. Um, but as far as like the servos, the retracts, I'm using Robart electric retracts. Um, I'm using their uh, struts for for the main gear. For the tail wheel retract, it's kind of a unique situation being a jet tail dragger. So right. there's not much room between the the skin of the airplane and the thrust tube. So you got to fit a retract somehow in between those two that small space. So I used a, a BVM uh, nose wheel retract for the tail wheel. Oh, uh, interesting. And then I'm using Pro Modeler servos throughout it. They're, they they work great. Yeah, he's based uh, right down the road in Sanford. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've been really happy with those. I you know I I thought that the U two you know is, it's not it's not a 200 mile an hour airplane. It's not pulling you know, 50 G's, but mm. I did want a, a quality servo that, um, would be precise and would be able to work with the gyros and have a pretty quick reaction time. So, um, they, they've worked great. Cool. Yeah. I know a, a lot of my friends who fly gas or warbirds are big into the servos. So, and we've actually talked about them on the show. I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah. We went to the website and looked. Yeah. Yep. So interesting. So yeah, that's a real feather in their cap then, I guess for Robart and for Pro Modeler. Anybody who has gear on your airplane is probably tickled pink. There is there is so much to, I I can't I can't remember a model where I have gotten things from so many different places. I mean, Dreamworks and like piano hinges and connectors. I've been I've gotten things from everywhere on this project and I'm we're lucky to have so many distributors for model airplane products because I ordered some really random things for this model and, you know, was able to mail order it from, you know, around the country and get it in, you know, a week or so. And, um, DreamWorks, where else? Uh, right. Soaring USA. Soaring USA made these really cool, um, internal, um, uh, push, well, push right now. Um, control horns, I guess you could say, for sailplanes. And they mm -hmm. work perfectly for the U-2. And it kept everything internal. Like, you can't see the control horns for the flaps and the ailerons. And so Soaring USA helped out with that. And mm. uh, Schubler, and then I'm using a, a YEP uh, speed control. Um, and I'm YEP? Using, yeah, YEP. I've never heard of that. Oh, uh, yeah, I've used them. Okay. Yeah, they're pretty nice. Uh, uh, pretty common. For EDF guys, I've used them a lot. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. They have free willing technology in them. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, that's right. And that's definitely what it's set to on this one. And then um, uh, RC Jetworks, they're the ones who are able to to get me the um, the saddle pack 6600 cells. They all, I have 12S6600 that sits right behind where the pilot is in the canopy. And so oh. they're, they're narrow packs and RC Jetworks was able to special order them for um, they're they're designed for they're designed for like BVM type models where they fit uh, in between the fuselage and where the fan is. So they're narrow mm-hmm. and tall. Interesting. So, I'm not familiar yeah. with those. Huh. So was there any point? I don't know. Say June or July, where you're like, forget it. This is not going to happen. I can't look at another piece of fiberglass or piano hinge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy an ARV. <laughs> right. <laughs> but was it hard to keep momentum and faith in this whole thing with such a an aggressive schedule? That's, that's a good question. I, I'm not, this year is a weird year with COVID and everything going on. We didn't know whether Top Gun was even going to happen. Um, right. Had it been on schedule, this plane would not have been ready. Right. So they, Frank Tiano, I forget what month it was, but it was pretty early on, well before May. He, he canceled the May event and it's postponed. And he came up with the, the end of October date, mm-hmm. but even up through like, gosh, uh, maybe, maybe August, it was kind of up in the air. Is this going to even happen? Um, and so I, I just kept building. Just mm. I'm just going to keep working on it. Uh, uh, nothing in Dayton was even, you know, like we weren't going out to dinner. We weren't going to any shows. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I did as much building as I could. Uh, and then Frank said that the event was a go probably mm, two months ago. And I thought I thought I was on track. I thought I was on track, but I was trying to get it done a month before the event. My goal was to have it done a month before the event, and that didn't happen. Right. It sounds <laughs> like me with all my college term papers. I'm going to finish this early, and then so, at 3 a.m. the night before. Everything takes longer than you think it is. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the end of the day. Everything, everything always takes longer, and all of those little, all of those little last-minute steps are actually really time-consuming. And so, but it it worked out. Obviously, yeah. So, does your head fit through the door now? Are you still riding that high? Have you gotten calls yet to start in ads from all these vendors who want you on their <laughs> cover photo? <laughs> Our glue used in this airplane. No. <laughs> We're not in one of those hobbies, or at least, you know... Um, well, we're going to take your picture and say he was on RC Roundtable podcast, there you <laughs> Mr. <go>. Top Gun. <laughs> no, you should. That's a that's a proud moment. I I remember as a kid going through model aviation and seeing all those Top Gun winners, you know, getting sponsored. Yeah, I, and I, if anything, if anything, I I just love I love scratch building. I love the hobby. I love building. I love sharing the projects because. I love seeing people's projects. They, they inspire me. Oh, look at this. Like, you know, even, even people, how people are able to apply like 3d printing technology and 
you know, now they're making like uh, wing servo hatches with them. And, yeah. you know, that's inspiring to me or even yeah. the, the cockpit stuff. And, you know, do, do, it, you have a, do you have a 3D printer? I don't know how to do 3D printing at all at this yeah. point. I would That's love no to excuse. Learn. <laughs> I would love to learn. But if yeah. I can do it, you can do it, Brett. Oh, there's nothing to it. You figured it all out on the first day, right, Lee? <laughs> Although open you, the box, they practically print themselves. Yeah, yeah it's just Brett, add water. Brett doesn't know me very well, but if you go back a couple of, I don't know, several month episode, you, you'll see my uh, excursion. But I can now give you advice because I can print stuff and, and make them fly. You can That's tell you awesome. what not to do. Yeah. Actually, for you, Brett, I would recommend a resin printer. Yeah, yeah, you can get them. They're they're they've come down a lot in price, and they would give you the uh, the the resolution and the detail that you would need for the stuff you do. Do you know Chris Wolf? I do. Okay, in yeah, fact, he... I spoke to him today. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's big into three D printing and uses resin printers for a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Incredible so a, modeler. Incredible yeah, yeah. Modeler. Right? Hit yeah. him up for some information. We like him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's okay, I guess. <laughs> I think I he's texted him yesterday. Like. He's kind of grumpy. It's fun because I, I love taunting him and he taunts me right back. <laughs> so, it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> Although, Brett, the guy you want to talk to also is his father, especially for painting, paint chips and oh, uh, colors. Yeah. Yeah, Larry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, Larry. Larry Wolf is like an encyclopedia knowledge of colors. Yeah. <laughs> Larry, I mean, you know, Larry was doing scale competition and inducted fans when nobody else was. You know, yeah. I mean, he's he's a really uh, he's really one of the fathers of uh, jets, RC jets, and glow ducted fans. Yeah, absolutely. It was really hard back then. I mean, my gosh. If they could get, if they could get like one flight a day and be able to taxi to the pits, that was like, <laughs> that would make the magazines, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what's next for you? Not necessarily projects, but are there any events that you're going to, or are you just ready to take a break now? So to be honest, um, I am in the process of relocating uh, to a new house. And so I'm going to be most likely spending the winter creating a whole new workshop since we're moving. So that's kind of, Ooh. that's kind of what I have on the horizons and it's exciting. Um, so, so, and, so a new place will have a workshop at least as big as a house, right? <laughs> uh, unfortunately not, but I do, I do have the basement. So oh, um, I remember those. Yeah. What, I'm in mine right now. Uh, do you guys get year round flying? We do see, here in Texas pretty much. Yeah, we do. Yeah, see, we don't get year-round flying up here in Ohio. I, I mean, I'm not used to this. I'm I'm from Los Angeles, where we used to fly year-round, but mm. here the flying season's over. I mean, it's it's done till mm, April. So, yeah, I'm with you. And I grew up in Florida, so I was used to year-round flying and building season. What's that? But now that I live in Buffalo, I know. So. All right, so you're sounds like you're uh, occupied with other things for a little while, and I would say you deserve a break anyway. So, <laughs> my wife appreciates that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Take a break, play some video games. Right. Yeah. Now, do you actually get a trophy or some hardware to take home from Top Gun? 
I do. So we got so the the U two got a couple awards. It got um, uh, high static for the expert class, and um, Renee he also got the engineering achievement award for the U two. Oh wow! Oh. So in in addition to that, the model got first place in expert, mm -hmm. and the overall high score, which is the Mister Top Gun two thousand twenty. Wow! So does his wife get the award, or have you talked to her since then? So um, I would like to send her something, um, and she's she's totally up to date. We. Uh, we uh, wrote back and forth on our drive back from Top Gun. She was very excited about it, um, and so I think I think she will be getting something. That's great. And as cool as this model is by itself, the the story behind it and how it came to be has to make it all that much more special. It really does. I I can't say that I've been a part of a project like this ever before. It's uh, it's very meaningful, and um, you know I. I, I wonder, I, I'm kind of going back and forth whether it's worth ever flying the airplane again, to be honest. Oh, uh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, it's not on the same level, but Terry has uh, recently accomplished something like that and where he acquired a piece of wood from a basement, <laughs> a, a large piece of wood, and he brought it back to life. You need to go look back on some of our posts and look in the, look under plywood overcast. <laughs> that <laughs> it, is... it, ain't, it ain't no Top Gun U2 thing, but <laughs> the point is he brought that to life. And I like, I loved your story when you started telling us that you were finishing it from somebody who started it. I love those stories. And that's, uh, that's awesome. I, I'm wondering, do you, have you thought about possibly like uh, temporarily uh, donating it or showing it off at the museum in Georgia? See if they'll uh, put it on display. Uh, they definitely are interested. Um, I haven't, they, they mentioned that as we were leaving to Top Gun and I, I kind of like indicated, well, I'm not sure if the plane's even going to survive the event. You know, I mean, right. my, my goal is always just to try to come home with an airplane. That's, uh, <laughs> that's like I, every time I go out and fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, hey, that's winning to me. Right. So, but that, that would be neat. Um, or, you know, maybe, maybe even another museum. I'm not sure. Well, you're right next to the Air Force Museum, aren't you? Very close. We're about uh, 10 minutes away from the museum. Uh, <laughs> knock, knock, oh, knock. Man. Speaking <laughs> of bucket list items. <sighs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Come visit. You guys should come up here sometime. Oh, man. Yeah. Too bad I didn't know you a few years ago because I went up there to visit uh, the museum. Maybe about five years ago, maybe-ish. How'd you like it? Oh, it was great. And the only the only regret is I completely missed the X plane hangar oh. because I didn't know about it. So I rushed I rushed through the whole museum. I was like, hey, I think I saw everything. It's like, wait a minute, something's missing. And I asked one of the staffs, like, oh yeah, yeah, the X plane hangar is like you gotta get on a bus and go across the runway or something. Right. And we had just ran out of time. I couldn't I was with the family and I did, we didn't have time. I was like, oh, fuck, blast it. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that it takes days to really see it the way that it deserves. Yeah, I was sure. really rushing. I was like, you know, I ran up, take a picture, run to something else, take a picture, run. Uh, so really, do, yeah, to soak it in, take <laughs> plan on two days to really. You're like Clark Griswold at the Grand Canyon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, it's Big Ben. <laughs> well, the the nice thing is, the next time you come, you won't have to go across in a bus. They they built a new fourth hangar. 
and they have all of the X-planes and all of the Air Force Ones in that last hangar. Oh, so you nice. no longer have to take buses anymore. Oh, great. Uh, that's good to hear. All right. Also, Since you guys uh, are coming up next summer anyway yeah. for the neat fair, we'll just go the other direction to Dayton as well. Sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> well, how far is it from you, Terry? Uh, I think it's about five hours. Oh, that's a, it's not bad. Oh, no. It's uh, not quite a, it's, it'd be tough to do a day ah. trip like that. Depends on who's in the car with you. You could, well, yeah. I know a that. podcast you could listen to on a long drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo. Now, Buffalo is where Bell Aircraft was. Is that right? And Curtis. Yeah. And Curtis. Do they, a lot of, a lot of history came out of Buffalo. Like the fur, like uh, the X1 was built there. Glamorous Glenis, I believe. Right. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. Uh, sort of. The Curtis Museum is a couple hours away in Hammondsport which was where Glenn Curtis did a lot of his early stuff with bicycles and motorcycles and all that. And I think there was actually some part of the Curtis business there for a long time, but it moved here during world war two or sometime before that. And a lot of the manufacturing was here. So there is an air museum here at the Niagara airport. And I think that might be where a lot of those Curtis facilities were. And they've actually got a P-39 that they pulled out of a lake in Russia and some other stuff, including some Bell stuff, too. But I'm not aware of any Bell-specific museum here. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's a, a lot of neat history here that I was not aware of. So it was uh, good to see. Well, Brett, looks like we're, uh, we've uh, kind of run out of time. So, But I really want to thank you for joining us. Uh, in, it's It's great to hear about the trials and tribulations uh, of competing at Top Gun. Uh, and it's just really a fascinating here, your development cycle and uh, the, really what it takes to compete in such a well-known event. And I, I, of course, congrats on your win. Uh, that's congratulations. Just a, congratulations. Yeah. From all three of us. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> and, Thank you guys for having me and thank you guys for holding the, the RC round table. Uh, you know, I, I follow you guys on the podcast, but also on Facebook and, uh, you guys, you guys do great work for the hobby. So thank you. Thanks. Lee, send that man a sticker. I will. I'll send him too. And I want you to he put can... him right there on the U2. Right. <laughs> right over the insignia. We're now the yeah. official sponsor of Red's <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> so you hang around with us, you get the uh, bad influence. Right. Well, <laughs> well anyways. Yeah. yeah. No, hopefully we'll get to see each other at uh, the B-17 gathering next year. Yeah, I was just going to say, hope we... Uh, cross pass again come on down to texas for the next b17 event we'd love to see what you bring if you don't bring anything just come on down we'll throw a transmit in your hands or something uh it's uh really great to talk to you glad we uh cross pass and I definitely look forward to whatever next you comes out of your uh newly fabricated workshop yes <laughs> uh we so any last words jet powered and unique yes that's we'll that's the goal we'll, yeah, we'll accept nothing less Oh, yeah. We love to see unique stuff. Uh, Six so. wings. 
six <laughs> wings. <laughs> three, wait, three turbines, six wings. Okay. So, <laughs> Power, World War One bike lane. Are you rolling your Dungeons and Dragon dice again? Exactly. I'm gonna <laughs> how many gear? One. <laughs> you know, one gear. <laughs> All right. All right, then. Well, on that note, I think we'll uh, bugger on off and and dream of uh, one day having our own competition, or maybe not. I <laughs> <laughs> live vicariously with other people. I don't think I can take the, the nerve-wracking of competing. But uh, definitely one of these days, uh, I have to come to Top Gun. Uh, I'll go hit up my relatives that live in Orlando and truck on out there. Uh, so... Uh, on that note, any last words before I bug out? No. Happy, happy moving and building your new hangar, Brett. Yeah. Hey, th- thank you. Um, and uh, Top Gun is definitely worth checking out. Um, not too far from Orlando, not too far from Tampa, and uh, it's a great place to be. So. so is it back on for spring next year, or is that still up in the air? So I believe, um, I believe they're going to be uh, – Holding it at the end of April is is the last that I heard. So it's really not that far away. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a short turnaround. You mm-hmm. better get cracking. That's right. So I have to ask, since you won, did you go to Disney World? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we uh, we called it a night. We hopped in the car at 4 a.m. and we drove 14 hours back to Dayton, Ohio that next day. <laughs> well, so, you know how to party, so, don't you? Back to <laughs> on tuesday so <laughs> oh man you always get jet lag from doing that kind of stuff totally worth it totally <laughs> worth it. fantastic all right on that note we are out of here thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you next time bye-bye please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.